Hello and welcome to episode 87 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Off-Topic Podcast. I'm Mike Solosi, today's host, Monsoon on the Boards, and with me are an all-star panel of RPG Fans staff, starting with Caitlin Argyros. Hi guys, Link is our on the boards, and um, I like me some Xenoblade. Also, I say it differently, so tough. Talking about Xeno versus Xeno? Yes. Do you also say Xeno Gears? Yes. Do you also say Xeno Saga? I say Xeno Saga, uh, but uh, yes. Yeah, you missed I've the never track. noticed this. <laughs> and uh, noticed this until today. <laughs> speaking of not noticing things, the, uh, the person who just didn't notice that was Stephanie Sabitlo. Hi! Canadian bacon here. What was it that you say you call Canadian bacon upstairs? Female bacon. Okay. Huh. <laughs> you learn something new every day, I guess. Or at least I did. And uh, in addition to Caitlin and Steph, we have Peter Treisenberg. Hi. I have Fury on the boards. And one thing that the four of us have in common, besides working for RPG Fan, is that we love Xenoblade Chronicles, or Xenoblade Chronicles, the uh, Wii RPG classic that uh, is extremely critically acclaimed and also extremely long and because of that 90 plus hour runtime we could never have it as a regular uh, play in one month journal episode for Retro Encounter so as such we decided we, we all love uh, Xeno Xenoblade and uh, we decided to have a standalone episode all about it and in fact this episode has been in the works for a while a bunch of people were interested in doing it and we just now found the time and the right you know space in the schedule to record it so we all like Xenoblade Chronicles. Xenoblade Chronicles, man, that's gonna bother me all the, the entire but, uh, episode. Just, just have... say it how you want to say uh, it, and I'll say it how I want to say it. I, well, I don't know. Now I'm second, now I'm second guessing everything. of our time. I mean, technically, both is correct because of how that prefix can be pronounced. So it's really up to you. All right, sure. But anyway, I guess starting with you, Caitlin. Um, how did you stumble upon this game? Like, did you, did you know about it long before it came out? Came out in the U.S. Was it a surprise to you? And uh, just what are just a, an abridged version of why you like it so much? Because I, I know that you've talked on many podcasts about how much you love Xenoblade. Oh uh, yes, and I could just talk for hours about it, but I will. I've, I'll try not to. Um, you know, I've been trying to remember exactly how I first found out about it, and I don't know if it was that I maybe heard some of the music and then checked it out, or if somewhere I saw, like, um, one of the early exploration trailers that they, they had, where they have you just running around all the different areas, and at some point I saw that, uh, and thought it was really cool, and it was on my radar at that point, and, um, I waited a little bit after it came out in Japanese way back in 2010 because I was hoping that it might get uh, localized. And um, eventually, by the end of the year, there was no movement on that. So I bought a used Japanese Wii and I imported the game and I was uh, playing through it. My Japanese was already kind of getting bad but, but at that point, but um, I was still decent enough that I could uh, make my way through slowly, um, very slowly, because it's a long game. Um, and then, let's see, I stuck with that until the European release was announced, and when there was still no word from Nintendo of America, I just imported that and played through and beat it. And then I got the American version, or sorry, the North American version um, to support it uh, when it came out. And then, I, of course, I had to buy a three, new 3DS to get it uh, 
Xenoblade Chronicles 3D at 3D when it came out because I mean I'm I have all the other versions so I needed to complete my collection. Right. So yeah, I I am a huge Xenoblade fan. I've been just in awe of it ever since uh like I said that first uh exploration trailer just the the beauty of seeing all those different environments and uh seeing you know like the iconic images of seeing the Mechonis uh, in the background as you're exploring around the Bionis it's just there was something really special about that before I knew anything about the story or the world before I'd heard most of the music it just really that 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 awe really of exploring that really interesting and huge world kind of grabbed me and then of course when I got to play it, um, mostly in English, um, I I followed well enough in Japanese, but I had to, you know, like I said, I moved slowly. I didn't actually beat it in Japanese because it took me so long to get through it. Um, but then playing through the story and, oh, my God, the story. It's a really good story. Um, we'll talk about that later. But it's just it's a sum of so many different great parts that really work together well. I mean, the gameplay is fun. The world is huge and interesting. The characters are great. The story is great. The music is amazing. (laughs) So it's just, it's like the complete package. And uh, I think one of why I love it so much is that I feel like this is a great example of how JRPGs are not dead. There's, you can do a really good JRPG and it can be an amazing experience. And I really hope that Thunderblade Chronicles 2 uh, comes when it comes out, hopefully still this year, if they're sticking to that. Oh, hopefully I to hope... British voice acting. <laughs> yes, please. Oh, my God. <laughs> British voice actors are the best. That was amazing. I just I hope that it can continue and recapture that magic uh, that the original had. And, I mean, but we've seen that thus far. I think it's off to a good start, but um, we won't know until, until we get it. So... That's my Xenoblade story, and I'm sticking to it. And, and you mentioned it, uh, like being unsure of its release and getting multiple versions, and that uh, and that concern was definitely justified for a while there because it came out in 2010 in Japan, then the Europe localization in English came out in 2011, then it finally came out in North America in 2012, and uh, for a while, and this is how I found out about Xenoblade was uh, for a while there was. Um, the website Operation Rainfall had a, a large ongoing petition to bring three Jap- uh, Japan-only Wii games to other regions. And those were Xenoblade, The Last Story, and, uh, oh shoot, that tower game that's kind of... Pandora's Tower. Yeah, 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 Pandora's Tower, that's it. And uh, so I, I, just, I found that website and that petition and then looked up all three of those games and sort of learned about them for the first time. And I was really, really interested in Xenoblade and Last Story and less interested in Pandora's Tower. And ended up buying uh, Xenoblade when it came out in North America first. I didn't, I'm, I'm not quite at the fan level of Caitlyn. I only played the uh, North American localization on the Wii. But she, she's absolutely right. It's an RPG that does a lot of things amazingly well. And it's in many ways the total package. And I, it's my favorite Wii game. Not even, And it's not even close. But... Uh, Peter, same question to you. Like, um, how did you discover Xenoblade, or, or first hear about it, and why do you like it? Well, like like you, I followed um, the Operation Rainfall campaign. Um, I sent sent in a couple letters to Nintendo. Actually, that that was part of the uh, part of the shtick was they had like a a letter written in. Ja- I couldn't. I mean, I, I I I still don't know a lick of Japanese, but they had a, a letter written out that you could um, 
you could send in um, as part of the campaign. The, but, um, the only Japanese word I know is the uh, character for heaven that goes on the back of Akuma's uh, tunic after he, after he lands a raging demon, and that's about it. That's the only <laughs> word in Japanese I can read. <laughs> but um, the, 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 first, the first place I actually heard about the game was um, uh, Nintendo Power magazine, because uh, they had a... Uh, a little blurb on it uh, when it was first announced as a uh, Minato beginning of the world of uh, the original title. And then it kind of dropped off the radar until the big, the whole hub blue about it, uh, not possibly not getting localized came out. I started paying attention to it. I think there was um, a random encounter episode on this very website where um, they talked uh, with, uh, with uh, some overseas staff members just who had gotten a chance to play it. And they were just talking this game up, and it sounded amazing. Like it was, this was like the next big step for for JRPGs. It was like uh, it, it took like some some things that other games like FF12 had had kind of pioneered and took it um, took it to the next step, having this this pseudo open world with real time combat and kind of MMO quest design, but also having really interesting characters and a compelling narrative and this seriously like grand scope, this incredible world to explore. And I finally ended up getting it uh, when it first came out. And then I didn't play it for like two years. Cause I didn't actually own a Wii for the longest time. I just wanted to get the game to support the cause, I suppose. Um, and then I played it and then I loved it. And that's all she wrote. Right on. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Stephanie, same to you. Uh, I actually have a pretty unromantic history with it. Um, when I first saw it, I thought it looked really, really ugly. <laughs> uh, the graphics just look kind of washed out, and like, I, like the first place you start in, you just see a lot of brown walls for the most part because you're kind of stuck in a inside of a cave kind of thing. Yeah, Colony Nine isn't really. Yeah, it's kind of a dugout, right? So I didn't really understand what I was looking at when I was seeing trailers and all that stuff, and it just kind of went under my radar. Uh, so you know, then I thought, uh, like, it kind of started getting a lot of word of mouth buzz, I guess, because I don't know, I didn't feel it was really that hyped up about either. So then word of mouth was good. Yeah, um, Operation Rainfall covered it and all that stuff. So I decided to give it a shot, and I really, really like Monolith Soft. I think they do really good stuff. Um, so when I got it, I didn't have time for it because of school, so I sold it, and I didn't even play it. Uh, <laughs> then uh, the word of mouth kept bugging me that I had missed stuff and like people posting like soundtrack stuff and gameplay stuff and talking about it and all that stuff and just saying it's such a good sci-fi RPG and all that stuff. I bought it back for a cheap price. <laughs> and then I really liked it when I gave it a shot a second time. Well, right on. I bet you're glad you did give it a second shot. And, um, uh, Steph, you made the interesting point of Colony 9, the starting town, being a little drab and, uh, and you know, maybe not even living up to the color of the beautiful title screen and box well, I, didn't, I didn't know the game took place on two giants at that point. If I knew that, then I would have been <laughs> like, oh, okay, they're on a body part. No, but, but, you're, but you're right. Like, the, um, like, Colony 9 is not nearly as pretty as a lot of other parts of the world. And even, even the first cave of the game is kind of, oh, yeah, it's an RPG cave dungeon. Great. You, but I, the opening what, establishing shot is pretty sweet, though, when it yeah. first, like, pulls back from the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Hands around the giants. Well, yeah, the, yeah the my whole opinion immediately scene. changed when I learned the game took place out of two giants. I was like, oh shit, that's amazing. <laughs> right, <laughs> it's yeah. Badass, so you just yeah. gotta, I think I also decided to give it a shot because of that. I was like, it's gotta be good if it's got this kind of premise. Yeah, I, I was thinking the other night that 
um, I mean, you have to start at Colony 9, but the fact that you get a crap ton of quests to begin with, and that's even when you have Colony 9, like, just at, you know, basic one-star level before you've unlocked more quests, there's a lot. I mean, I usually spend a lot of time just clearing those quests before I proceed with the story, and I love Colony 9, but it's like, I feel like, once you get to Gower Plains, that's the magic moment when yes. you sort of you realize sure. the, the the beauty of the world and the awesomeness of the exploration. And it can take a while to get there unless you speed through the main story. And that might actually be somewhat of a disservice to the game. I've seen people who got turned off by the the stuff in Colony Nine and just never proceeded to continue the game. And I I wonder if they would have been able to get to Gower Plains earlier. Um, if that would have like changed their minds, I mean, I, I hope it would have because Gower Plains is amazing. Right, and um, um, our very own uh, Josh Curry doesn't like Xenoblade for that exact reason. He never left Colony Nine, and it's got a bit of a Dragon Age Inquisition thing going on, where it's a little too easy to get stuck in that first area because it's there's so much stuff to do in uh, there that if you you know have that itch to do as many side quests as possible before moving on, that can that that can hinder your opinion of the game a little bit. But I, I'm 100% agree, agreed with you. Gower Plains is when the game opens up and becomes awesome, mostly because Gower Plains is such a huge, beautiful area with amazing music. Mm. And, uh, and, um, There's always and, something interesting to look at, too. And I think some people have said like that Gower Plains is some of their favorite level. Like It has just the most going on with it. <laughs> it's It's not quite my favorite level, but I think it's the first level that really... It's a good balance of things, though. Like really pretty sights, a few super bosses. Yeah, it. it um, it's that spider sort of to take in, and it's like the first <laughs> the really big expansive area. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah and triceratops. There's, the, there's that um, the giant monkey. Unmovable rock bar. Like, like, yeah. yeah, like like, like, <laughs> like the the giant monkey that you find in the herd area near the beginning is one, maybe the first super boss you can stumble across, unless you unless you do a lot of crazy de- digging around Colony Nine. But um, you're right. I think it's. I think. Gower Plains is the first area that really illustrates the strengths of Xenoblade in, in its, uh, its vastness, its color, its music. Uh, the, the story's thrust starts getting better there. You get your third party member there, uh, other than, uh, well, your third permanent party member there, I should say. And. Whoops, sorry about that. We had some uh, technical difficulties with the recording. But I believe I was just um, rambling a little bit about how much I love Gower Plains, and I think we should stay on that topic for a little while. Uh, Peter, um, Gower Plains is the sort of second major area of the game. Uh, what are your general thoughts of it, and what, what did you, uh, how did you feel when you first started exploring it? Uh, for, for me, it's one of the, I think it's kind of it encapsulates the, the experience of playing Xenoblade, because you first kind of walk into this huge open area um you've got all these all the you've got all these area um, monsters all these different roaming creatures running around it it kind of makes the place feel like there's an actual ecosystem going on there yeah just, like different know. types of things happening on the mushrooms on the like you know one side like i think one of the species has its own layer yeah you've got you've got all these little like offshoots and nooks and crannies to explore and items and to pick up and, nests yeah uh, and then like but then you can run into like these like mass you can and, and there, it, it's always clear there there's a level indicator and the color of the uh the the icon above the monster's head that is indicated that this thing is way above your weight class and you're gonna die if you try to fight this thing but i usually presume the big there. ones were trouble 
And and also it does an interesting thing where um, some species, even if they're way stronger than you, will ignore you, and some will always try to attack you regardless of your level or their level. Mm-hmm. And some will try to avoid you if you're a, at a way higher level than they are. It's um you're right, Peter. There's there's um in every area of the game there's ecosystems and monsters of far different sizes and power levels and behaviors all sort of interacting. And the and Gar- okay, I like that. And, and Gar- you get a lot of games that give you like the same kind of level monster for every single place. You know, right. it kind of yeah. levels up with you. So it's always cool when you can kind of really, literally mix it up. And it definitely gives you a reason to like come back to previous areas once you've gotten stronger to take on. Yes, totally. Uh, like the the um, the named enemies and get that awesome sweet battle theme. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's that's, thing. Um, that's uh, you will know our names. Is the yes, yes for, for when you fight unique monsters. That song that, that, is too good. That song yes. rules. It's uh, it's... I also think though that Gower Plains is it's pretty sweet because it's like the first time when you sort of I think really kind of realize that you are climbing up a giant titan. I mean, the, the game shows you this from the beginning, but it's not super apparent uh, in Colony Nine because of you're basically in this little. Uh, crevice on like the shin or whatever uh of the of the bionis but you get to the the knee shin or the the calf yeah yeah and um and gower plains is up to the knee the knee and then the 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 thigh i guess of the bionis (laughs) but you get there and you can see the mechanis across the way as you're climbing like throughout the entire level you'll be able to to glimpse uh spots of the mechanis and see how the elevation is changing and when you get to the upper levels of gower plains and you can look back and actually see the lower level and it's you, you really that's i think the moment where you really get it that you really are climbing this giant titan and did such a good job of selling that that experience as as otherworldly as it sounds to be climbing a giant body. It really does a great job of of making you believe it that you really are running around on this giant dead corpse's leg. So instead yeah. of a world map, it, you're actually kind of scaling, doing like a clockwise <laughs> clock, uh, clockwise <laughs> tour of the two of them. Yeah, and yeah. it's, it's I'm, I'm not 100% sure how gravity works in this world because you, you, you're never feeling like you're about to fall off the, uh, the, the Mechanis as you're walking, you know, vertically up its leg. But they, but they keep But you the do me- get a trophy for falling off. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but, but there's, um, there is a consistency to the world of mythology, how you're, it, it tells you what part of the Mechanis or Bionis that you're on as you're traveling up these two giants and, like you know, you basically travel from the calf up to the head, then walk down the shoulder to the where the Mechanis's sword has impaled the Bionis. You eventually go down to where the chopped off arm of the Mechanis fell. <laughs> well, no, no, it's very intricate. Yeah, it's it's it, it is intricate and consistent and consistently beautiful. Now we've talked a lot about Gower Plains, but um, do any of you have a favorite? area of the game or favorite setting um, other than Gower Plains that you want to talk about a little bit? Hmm. There's a lot of them. <laughs> like, I know a few times I've just gone through the ether, uh, ether sea and just kind of wandered around for a little bit, even though not much is really happening. The, it's the, just yeah, a nice setting. The the Aerith Sea. I'm ha- I have Aerith a, Sea, yeah. I have, I have a list in front of me because it is kind of hard to remember all of them. Yeah, <laughs> God, yeah they're all very different. Yeah. Uh, there's just a lot of cool chill areas in that kind of Alchemoth area. It's just nice to look at. 
I really, really love Valak Mountain, the mountain that's on the uh, the, yeah. shoulder, the shoulders and upper arm of the Bionis, because it's it's a really beautiful snowy area, and I have a weakness for snowy areas. Um, we always did, have good music, too. Yeah, we, we did an episode all about them a while ago. Um, <laughs> and, and Valak Mountain is so crazy, because they have, like, suspended... Um, like columns and pathways it's like the geometry of that icy area is really really crazy and uh, you get and there's a really cool climactic boss fight uh, near the end of it when you finally defeat the uh, the iron face me- uh, mechon and really fun ice physics yes the ice the, the physics of that area can, are not easy to explain but because like the, you're like walking along mobius strips suspended over mountains and stuff and there's a, a and the ice tunnels aren't always easy to navigate but it's really really beautiful flying though yeah Yeah. it's a really beautiful chill area i like valak mountain a lot um caitlin do you have a favorite area besides um gower plains that you want to bring up uh well some of my favorite areas are actually tied to the music that plays in them um i i love uh field because of Mm. that beautiful i mean that's like possibly my favorite piece of music on the soundtrack is the the field of the Mackinac or the field of the machines. Um, and that's a really cool level. I mean, it's obviously all uh, mechanically themed, but that level... That a bit of a sci-fi dystopian, like, synthesized 80s yeah. Blade Runner kind of vibe to it. Yeah. That <laughs> entire really cool. field is just you climbing from the base of the Mechonis, um all the way up to, like, the core or the, the midsection of the Mechonis, and eventually you get to another favorite area of mine, which is Agniritha, which is, uh, I guess you would call it the capital city of the Mechonis. It's an abandoned capital, um, which makes it kind of creepy, but there's, again, just this really beautiful piece of music that I believe I talked about on one of my very first episodes of Rhythm Encounter, um, that I just really loved so much. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I kind of, music is really important to me and I, I tend to like attach myself to areas that have beautiful music. Um, but I also agree with, uh, with Stephanie that Aerith Sea is a jaw droppingly beautiful, big, beautiful place to explore, uh, at, during both day and night. And that's one of the other, you know, cool things about the game is having that day night cycle and seeing how it changes the environment and the enemies that come out and what you can do. Um, like I'm jumping ahead here, but I remember, uh, I can't remember the name of the continent in Xenoblade X. Um, it's sort of the, the ice. It's not an, it's not ice. It's more like, it's just, it's a, yes. Silver. <laughs> thank you. Um, and how it looks so drab during the day and the music is muted to represent that. But then, you get there at night and suddenly everything is all lit up and beautifully golden. And a lot are, of the places kind of like light up in their own way at night, right? Usually expect yeah. a daytime for most of that kind of stuff to happen, but it's cool when, you know, at night everything changes too. Yeah. And the music reflects it's not that. Just dark. The, yeah. The night version is a lot more active than the, the day version. So, I mean, that's just, that's a cool thing. I'm glad that uh, Xenoblade X kept that from the original as having that day-night cycle and having the world kind of change and look differently depending on what time of day you're there. So, so yeah. And speaking of the music, there's a, a lot of musicians put uh, went got in on Xenoblade's soundtrack. It's, it, there's four composers listed. One of them, uh, ACE Plus, is a actually a group of composers. So... I guess you could say six composers contributed to the soundtrack, which has a uh, uh, which has, I believe, ninety songs, like between ninety and a hundred songs. Oh my God! And a lot of it is 
really, really excellent. It's not like, and it's not like it's 90 songs where half of them are 45 second long jingles. There's, it's, it, it's a meaty soundtrack with a lot of quality <laughs> stuff on it, and it's been heavily featured on Rhythm Encounter and an RPG fan in general. I think we had more than one person review it, but uh, it's a lot of it is awesome. Like, like the Gower Plains music is is just positive and up and uplifting. The uh, the the music in the on the Mechanis side, like the Mechanis Field, the Central Factory, and the Agnaratha stuff, is a little bit more sort of industrial sounding, a little bit harsher sounding, but all, but still beautiful. It's it, it's an excellent soundtrack, and I've it's been on rotation on my various playlists for basically ever since I first experienced it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it does pretty well in a lot of its genres, too. Like, it can do a lot of the kind of fantasy stuff you see on Bionis. It does a lot of the kind of sci-fi sounds you see on the Mechanis. Uh, the battle tracks hit hard. You know, everything is just a pretty good piece. <laughs> Except for Machna Woods. I don't like that place. <laughs> <laughs> I remember us talking about that. <laughs> it bores me. <laughs> the place you can get ambushed by T-Rexes. Yeah, the, yes. the, the giant dinosaurs are cool and kind, <laughs> to, of, to very, kind of terrifying. Like, uh, <laughs> And it sounds like a river cruise kind of theme song. So I mean, you'll see a T Rex, and you just got this really pleasant wood flute playing. It just doesn't doesn't work with me. <laughs> but the rest I'm about to, to die, but at least it'll be fabulous. I remember the, the first time I went through that area. It was a really tense last five minutes or so, like sneaking around under the legs of giant of giant dinosaurs that are level ninety five or something. When you're level twenty five, it's uh, it's good stuff. I feel it's realistic. <laughs> So yeah, somehow, yeah, somehow, I think we've managed to talk about this game for uh, well for over fifteen or twenty minutes now without mentioning a single character's name. Probably. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Oh okay. Um, <laughs> unless Bionis, unless Bionis or Mercanus count. So Te- uh, technically, yeah. Sure. So uh, well, <laughs> there, there's seven main playable characters in this game, starting with uh, Shulk, our blonde best boy with wielding the Manano sword. Best boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah really that works. Um, glass Cannon, I hear him described as. Yeah, he's not. And well, what thing I like is his voice actor's ability to scream. <laughs> like, yeah, Adam, Adam Howland. voice. <laughs> he yeah, yells a lot range. for different things. I gotta say, it's really amazing coming to this game after like playing Dragon Age 2, um, because uh, Shulk's voice actor, Adam Howden, also voiced Anders in Dragon oh, Age 2. Oh, man. And I hate Anders. Oh, okay, uh, Dragon Age 2 every... Anders is terrible. Dragon Age, Awa- is... Dragon Age Awakening Anders is pretty cool. It's Dra- perfect. Yeah, but Dragon Age 2 Anders is awful. Yeah, and I <laughs> Just... hated him, and so, I mean, like, and it wasn't because of the voice acting, it was because no, they, yes. they assassinated his character and turned him into a terrorist, but... Um, not to even come a cool into, terrorist, a crappy terrorist. A crappy, like, whiny baby terrorist. I'm like, uh, anyway, that's the thing they hear they were there. Um, getting to play Xenoblade and, 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 and hearing that same voice actor, but in a character that I really like and doing an amazing job uh, of, yes, of the blood-curdling screams, holy crap. <laughs> that first cutscene in Colony Nine when he's like going ape shit on on Metal Face, I'm like, I hope he did not like you know throw out his voice trying to scream that uh that I'll kill you. <laughs> it was so nice to hear uh, his and Fuhrer's voice actor again for Xenoblade X as one of the optional voices. I thought that was a really sweet touch. 
Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, their their voices are pretty iconic. You just don't get British voice actors for games that much here, I guess. Yeah, it's pretty much these games and Dragon Quest and not a lot of not very many others. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so it's really cool when it happens, especially when it is kind of riffing on medieval themes, I guess, or fantasy themes. Yeah, well, I mean, you, for some reason in North America, we equate British accents with uh, with fantasy worlds. In, yeah. in in ways I don't always totally understand. <laughs> and foreigner voices like uh, like in Gladiator. Yeah, it's like oh oh they're they're non um, they're European. Well, obviously they speak with a British accent, no matter what their nationality <laughs> actually is. This is really off topic, but do you guys remember Valkyrie, the Tom Cruise movie? No, I don't. Uh, no, I've never seen saw it. it. Yes, you do. It's the Val. It's the one where he he he's a where they're they're in Nazi Germany, but every actor is either American or British. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, sounds about right. <laughs> oh, I gotta see that now. <laughs> uh, anyway, back 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 on the Xenoblade. Uh, are we feeling it, guys? I'm really I feeling, really feeling it. it. <laughs> the, the power of the Renato. Yeah. There's so many good one-liners for every, all the characters, I think. Uh, electric gut buster is one of my favorite skills ever. <laughs> wait, wait, yes. guys, guys. I'm sorry. I'm, my, my watch is broken. What time is it? It's rhyme time! <laughs> it's rhyme time! God, it, it's really quotable as hell. And you, you hear some of the same, you know, victory quotes and attack so quotes all the time. It's cheesy, though, because no, no, the dialogue it's... otherwise still really, really works. Yeah, yeah it, it's charming and fun, like, and, and not in, like, and not in, like, a poorly translated Final Fantasy tactics kind of fun. This is, it's, you know, you know genuinely exciting. And then the memes are strong in this way. game. And, and but... well, um, I, I mentioned, maybe I mentioned this before, my favorite character in, in this game, and the one who I controlled for more than half of it, is Dunban. Yes, Dunban. because he's he made he's, a really cool, cool character. Yeah, he, I always thought like character like Auron was trying too hard, but then you get Dunban, who just kind of is the way he is. He's yeah, cool it's, about it. he's like in a more effortless version of Auron, who's you know older than most of the main cast. He's got a very but, classical air to him, you know. He's still and, kind of bad, like fancy. And he's real badass. He's uh, and you can build him offensively or defensively, which he's is a little a, poetic a too. Yeah, yeah, and you can do his speed stats too. He's so very different. Than, than and, and of course, the, the the best part is you you can do the nude build with him, where you like, <laughs> like if you don't equip him with any armor and equip this one ability, his uh, his evasion is like multiplied by twenty or something crazy, and it's almost as good as having the best armor in the game on. Well, whatever, I love I loved using Dunban and messing around with the skill loadout. Uh, I think people have affectionately called him like a, a samurai Jesus kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of nice, I guess. <laughs> it's kind of magical and kind I still of good. Don't, and I still don't understand how, because I mean, like, part mythical. Uh, and I know you guys already know this, but in case the listeners forgot, uh, uh, Dunban injured his arm badly uh, trying to wield the Monado when his, bo- <laughs> when his body when his body wasn't suited to it. So mm-hmm. w- when he joins your party, um, his right arm is in a sling, and he wields a katana with his off arm with his left hand. And for the life of me, I still do not understand how he can effortlessly climb ladders and rock <laughs> and rock faces with one arm basically tied behind his back. <laughs> Because he really grabs very tightly with his one good arm, and he can manage to keep his place while he moves his feet without keeping his other arm. (laughs) It's some truly amazing core strength and toe strength. And that means he's fighting the game with his less dominant hand, so that just adds another big layer to him. Badass, yes. Mm -hmm. Imagine going through, like, all of college or something, but having to write with your off hand. (laughs) And that's how badass Dunban is. (laughs) 
he's very hard to hate. He does nothing wrong. No, he's, <laughs> he's, he's awesome. Person. <laughs> Sometimes they write them too good, <laughs> but it's all right. Um, sadly, I can't think of anybody in Xenoblade X who's like that. So I always give that a big point to this game is that the characters are all pretty likable. Mm-hmm. Even someone like Ricky, who's a mascot character, just somehow found a way to be kind of likable. That he's um, Amazingly... Little- Ricky was the guy I had on my team the most other than Dunban. But that, that was mostly yeah, for, game, mostly he's for short, gameplay but he's, he's a short mascot character, but he's got the most HP. And apparently that was just a like a last-minute kind of gimmick they wanted to work in for him. Yeah, they were going to give him like kind of moderate HP, but they said, no, 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 give him the most. Yeah, he has the most HP, and his skills are a lot of like damage over time stuff, like a uh, like fire and poison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you just throw him as like the third character on your team, he'll just never die and occasionally heal you and and throw fire and poison everywhere. It's like, all right. This Especially is... for people who don't want to use Sharla because she's probably the worst gameplay wise. Um, yeah. And she's the most boring to control by far. Oh yeah, but uh, you know, at least cool. I only I ever say control that. Herself, well, but I yeah. kept Sharla in my party for most. I mean, of like you're one of those, Peter. Um, when I when I yeah, first played I the game. <laughs> When I first played the game and I tried playing Sharla, I didn't like playing as her. But I started playing Final Fantasy XIV and I started playing maining healer characters. And then when I came back to play it again and I started playing Sharla, I liked playing her a lot more because I kind of understood the mentality of being the the main healer character. Um, But having said that, once you get the cast together, Sharla isn't actually needed that much um, for... I mean, I, I... beat the final boss without her i used mm-hmm. shulk uh the seventh character uh, who i don't know if we want to spoil um okay, okay. I, uh well we, we should say right now we are going to spoil the hell out of this game and if you have never played this game and we'll leave it at the to, end you will uh yeah you, you should um you should hold off on this podcast immediately but we'll we'll <sighs> we'll discuss the seventh character later okay yeah but anyway, I mean, like, I didn't have Charlotte. I didn't have a dedicated healer in my party for the final boss because I didn't need it. Shulk's uh, light heal, once you buff it up enough, actually does, you know, good healing. And you it have, heals like, well and an, very quickly, right? Yeah. And you have yeah. an invasion tank like Dunban who doesn't get hit that much. And then and, my... And, and my... Riki, Riki can, back, can uh, background <laughs> what heal. What a cool a idea, too. an invasion yeah. tank. <laughs> Yeah, that was my party for most of the game, including the final boss. I would control Dunban and manage everybody like a tank, while uh, Shulk did a lot of damage by attacking the sides and rear, and Ricky just would do his own thing out, <laughs> like, whatever, you just you do you, Ricky. And that's how I beat most of the game, including the final boss. Um, but, what um, was it, though? Uh, but I do like what they say is that, like, Shulk is good if you're just not really too sure about a fight and you don't really want to do the grind and you're kind of erring on the yeah. side of caution you bring her and you'll be pretty safe and by the end of the game she can usually heal more but at the same time you can sub in other people to just kill people faster if you play just a bit smarter it's actually a really cool balance i think and then um, <laughs> we were talking about how dunban can be an evasion tank or a more traditional offensive character but you also have a more traditional tank in ryan who just is nothing but defense yeah. and taunts and boosts and he's he's got good ways of keeping himself alive i think yeah a lot of, yeah, a, so a lot of dam- damage mitigation on him. You could pitch a lot of different parties, but a lot of them pretty much work. So, again, they found really cool rules for each of the party members. Yeah. And I like that, you know, you have those one-off liners when you, you finish a battle where they all say something random. But you also have uh, little chats between sets of three characters that are unique to that set of three. But they're, they're literally responding to each other. And a lot of them are funny or hilarious or... 
or you know like uh, if you have Ryan and Melia and Ricky uh, Melia will like ask if she can pet Ricky and you know Ricky's like yeah and then Ryan wants to and and Ricky's like you're gonna pay me food like biscuits or whatnot one biscuit for each stroke and I'm <laughs> Ricky, they have really weird blurbs to each other, and sometimes they're a little bit cheesy, but they're just the right amount of fun. Yeah, I love. How, I love really knows to do that. Ricky's designated like the great warrior of his tribe, but is also yeah. a kind of a philanderer with like forty kids and, and a reputation for being lazy. And it's like, well, you're kind of great, Ricky, even though if your voice. But is he a is pretty grating. good. Yeah, it's a little grating, but it works. It's actually kind of a nice, kind of nice to get an older person doing a cute voice. Then it's usually a very high pitch pitch voice mm-hmm. yeah his, his japanese kind of voice is uh more that what you'd expect you real, see, right? real, real squeaky pikachu-esque it yeah. still oddly worked mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah Ricky. like the british voice, voice acting was pretty on point and i do like how they had a former doctor doctor who companion uh mm-hmm. jenna coleman doing a voice before she got famous <laughs> before yeah. they looked at her and said she's way too pretty to stay behind a mic <laughs> and she moved on immediately to doctor who um, but, uh, you know, and how they kind of talk about her as having, like, a posh voice because she's royalty and all that stuff. Right, yeah, she, she voices Melia, I'm guessing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah sorry, she's Melia. Right, yeah, okay, okay I, I, I don't know the voice actors for this game, but, like, just <laughs> on, on, the, on, the, on the surface like I do for certain other games. Melia, I, th- I find interesting, because she's, she's basically your offensive mage kind of character who can who can mm-hmm. do a lot of stuff with her spells, but she's... Um, I think maybe the worst character to have as an AI, but extremely effective and fun and interesting as the player character. Yes, she's broken, really. Yeah, yeah she gets like because like, you, you set up all these different elemental glyphs and can you know basically spend them for super moves, and it's she's really interesting and fun. But the AI does not know how to use her. The AI doesn't know, and her uh, defenses are really crappy, so you do have to play her smart. But uh, she can dish out. I think it's like if you can easily one of the characters you can easily max out whatever most powerful attacks with uh and every 11 seconds you can deal like 3,000 damage or something or even mm-hmm. more yeah but basically uh, by, by quickly stacking and refreshing either fire or lightning i'm not i'm not sure which it would uh, it, depending on different setups but or you she, can do the damage over time thing again and just make battles go that much faster yeah, she, she can deal the most damage or heal the most or defend the most depending on how you set up her skill loadout and she's awesome i i really liked using melia as the main but only as the main character basically if i was playing and i if basically by the time i had six of the seven main characters it was either a dunban tank game or me just blasting everything as melia because i think shulk is a little vanilla in terms of his moveset even though he is powerful <laughs> will anyone ever use third eye or that one where you sacrifice your hp <laughs> no. oh wait peter played it i'm sorry and, Sh- and shulk is broken as hell because i mean we didn't he haven't even mentioned Still really it yet. strong yeah, his, yeah. Uh, we haven't even mentioned his um super moves where he can prevent the where he can prevent the future from happening i can't believe how well they actually work that into an action rpg-esque combat system yeah because in in the story he can see the future and try to prevent from it it from happening and then they manage to work it into the combat in a way that doesn't feel completely uh arbitrary it's it's really impressive it kind of worked yeah and some for some boss boss battles you it's really really helpful to have him in the lead so you can employ that well the one thing i don't Um, like about those abilities though is that when you change the future the music changes and if you're fighting a named enemy and you have you will know our names blaring and it's awesome then like uh, you know then you change the future and the music changes and the music it changes to isn't nearly as good so Caitlin's really in it for the music I am 
she's getting upset when it, when it's changed. I actually really appreciate that. Because, <laughs> yeah, it's not as fun. It sounds a bit more, like, um, heart attack-inducing, just kind of shocking. Yeah, yeah. Not as fun. Like, yeah. It's, it's, not a smooth, it's not a smooth transition either. If it, like, if, if using that move, you know changed it from a, to a muted version of the of the song or a smoother transition and then went back to the regular song after it was after it was reset that would be more forgivable but it doesn't do, I get I, I don't remember this is at least in something I, like skies of Arcadia if you were winning like crazy you know you you had the upper hand then it would change yes. to a triumphant theme yeah, there, yes. yeah there, there's yeah skies of Arcadia has three battle themes one called <laughs> uh, one called crisis mode if you have two or more characters down and one called opportunity mode if all of your characters are healthy and the enemy is below 25 percent health they did it okay in Xenoblade X again, where they had like the the tragic tragic stuff, the uh, ambush combat music, and like several versions of like um, when you're in your Android music, not Android, your Mecca. <laughs> yeah, the different variations on music in X was really well handled. I hated the ambush music in that game, though. <laughs> oh, the 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 kind of siren sound that. <laughs> yeah, I hated because it, because it made me jump. I was like, I, I, you'd be like walking around, and all of a sudden something sees you, and it's like. And I'm like, no, stop. Nah. Yeah. I don't know. There's something weirdly masochistic in me that really liked that. It's like, run away. Run away. Yeah. Because <laughs> it kind of felt as, yeah, like you had to run away and you're jumping over giant creatures to do it. Moon jumping over giant creatures to be, <laughs> to, to be honest. I run my giant robot, minding my own business, and then this level 100 battleship shows up. And I'm like, what? There's <laughs> a battleship after you. You should run. The music is appropriate. <laughs> But yeah, no, I, the battle music in that one was really handled well, and but at the very least, Xenoblade has, I think, overall the more memorable ones. I think, uh, yeah, the the mechanical rhythm one. I yes. Think. Yeah, yes. that one is so cool. Where, where does that one, I, where does that one play? That's the main <laughs> battle theme in when you're on the Mechanis. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, it re- it replaces the 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 Shimamura battle theme from the Bionis. Mm-hmm. It's just very boombastic. <laughs> Is that one of the Ace Plus themes? Because I know that they did. They yes. Did, I know that they did. You will know our names, which is by far my favorite battle music in this game. Yeah, yeah. It's it's Ace Plus. Ace Plus. Uh, sorry, Shimamura fans. Ace Plus <laughs> does the best music in Xenoblade. <laughs> Shimamura's got some great stuff too. I'm not saying she's bad. Yo, but, no, 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 no. Uh, when we're, I'm looking at the soundtrack, the standout pieces are all Ace Plus, with with a few with a few by uh, Manami Kyoto. But Mitsuda's got his one. Uh, I really don't like that that ending theme. Yeah, I do. I at think all. it's safe. Fine. <laughs> I think it's boring. It, I, and like, even, I know there's a lot song... of uh, hit or miss even on Xenoblade X too. Like, a lot of people like will not love anything about the Xenoblade X soundtrack. It's just too kind of contemporary in parts, I guess. The Xenoblade X soundtrack is super interesting and experimental, and and less traditional than the. Uh... Than the, Xenoblade, than the Xenoblade soundtrack for sure, but it's um I, I haven't played Xenoblade Chronicles X. I don't I don't own a Wii U, but I just really I mean, like Sawano. Yeah, but it, it is I've listened to a lot of it, especially because I was I edited a lot of sound samples for uh, the 2015 Music of the Year, and a bunch of people put Xenoblade CX music on that. So I listened to like at least a dozen tracks from that game just doing that, and it, a lot of it was super super cool. It, it made me interested to um, seek out the soundtrack on my own, but I I would still put Xenoblade. Chronicles One's soundtrack ahead of it, and uh, and and even though his song isn't that great, I think having Mitsuda in there as like as like an audio cameo is a cool nod to his work in Xeno Gears, and because he's a legend in the industry, kind of like how Yuzo Koshiro did one song in Persona Q. Um, 
it's just it, whatever. It, I, I think it's a cooler idea, maybe than cool, maybe than you know, an execution. Song. Yeah, b- b- better yeah. better as a concept than a, an execution. But I, I I don't begrudge it. Well, it sounds like he's quite pleased with his work on um on Xenoblade Chronicles two. <laughs> yeah, least, uh, he's talked about it more than anybody else has. Then there is like yeah. official material. Yeah, I'm like pretty much any I'm, music that about it has been music related. I'm really wondering what the breakdown though is because all we're hearing about is Mitsuda. Mitsuda's recording with the live orchestra. Mitsuda, the is recordings that a lot of people brought. Are hoping to see it at E3 because it's like it's tears kind of time. <laughs> I just I I don't know. I love. Did they Mitsuda. say who else is coming on for that? Is anyone? What? I was wondering, did they mention any other composers coming on for Xenoblade Chronicles 2? No, Ace Plus Mitsuda? is coming back. They're back? Okay. Yes. I, Although I, they're not... I don't, they're think not Sh- I don't think Shimamura's coming back, though. No, she's not. As far as we know, everyone's there minus Shimamura. Cool. That's, well, that... That's good. I mean, bringing the band back together for, yeah. uh, you know, as for the sequel to one of our favorite soundtracks of the 2010s sounds like a good deal to me. And either, and either way, like Mitsuda working with a live orchestra is a very tantalizing prospect. Although, oh God, I know. <laughs> what a great soundtrack that you never hear. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Well, thank you. Uh, this has been episode 87 of Rhythm Encounter, the RPG fan music podcast. <laughs> but <laughs> can we talk about the seventh character a little bit? Because I think there's a lot to talk about with her. And so if you don't know, listeners, if you don't know who that is, I'm, you know, like rip out your earphones or something. Um, yeah, the seventh character is Fiora, who is your childhood friend from the uh, very that you meet right at the beginning of the game, but she's captured by the Mechonis, by the Mechon army and made into one of the uh, bionic mechanic hybrid characters, one of the faced Mechons. And uh, she, I, she's the silver, is it the white Mechon or the, or the silver Mechon? It's, one of it's, well, I mean, she, her, her name is like, like face nemesis or whatnot. Okay, if sure that's what you mean. All right. Well, I don't know. I don't, I didn't know the official name, but uh, she's, white or silver and if, but eventually you like free her from the mechon armor and she joins you as sort of a cyborg part human part mechon for the latter half of the game on the fallen arm which is and we didn't talk about the fallen arm much but the fallen arm is beautiful because it's really the organic that's probably the big surprise in that game i think one of the big twists that game first yeah. off yeah it's, it's one of the biggest twists right, right up there with um uh the early game twist of the Iron Faced Mechon being Dunban's old buddy, and the big end game twist Metal of Face. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, they sorry. throw a lot Metal of face. twists at you in that little short period of time, and I think that's when the game gets really interesting. Like it, some people do say it's a slow burn, but I think it's around then when a lot of people really start to jump yeah, on the bandwagon. It gets really wild at the end when you twists happen; they're all pretty insane. But uh, the biggest one is probably you meet a cyborg version of your best friend and you're able to uh, revive her somewhat and she joins you as some kind of crazy robot lady with blades and guns and is crazy awesome and capable. And she of... may or may not be one of the best characters as well, so it's kind of like a really cool best for last kind of deal. Yeah, there's a bunch of ways to set up her damage and she can deal just disgusting amounts of damage. Uh, <laughs> <with> <laughs> disgusting amounts. And she, and she doesn't have to equip a mechon weapon to hit mechons, which is which is nice, because that's, that's one annoying thing. If you're fighting in an area where there's a lot of robot enemies, you have to equip a special weapon that can pierce their armor, which yeah. is... 
Or you have to use Shulk's uh, Monado yeah. ability. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the Monado, yeah, he has powers that allow him to temporarily deal a lot of damage to them. But uh, it, that can get main a character powers. But she, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, but, but Cyborg Fiora or, or Mechon Fiora is real awesome. I still <laughs> think so like weird. is she just a head at that point? I, I think well. Okay, um, spoilers, she, well, for the, spoilers for the end of the game. Um, uh, her memories and head and heart seemed all to be working, but the uh, the Mechon doctor that, that uh, treats her says that she won't be able to live in that state for much longer, and somehow they're able to revert her back to a full human for the ending cutscene <laughs> of the game. Apparently that got cut out of the cutting room floor. There was a legit reason behind it, but they just couldn't squeeze it in. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I think you could explain that by what Shulk does at the end of the game, because yeah, another spoiler alert, he basically recreates the world the way he wants it. He would definitely right. have had the power to make her human again. So, Oh, oh so so it's that and, and, not a, and not a medical procedure. Okay. The doctor does talk about attempting to restore her, but it might not work. I think that was before... The end game, though. Oh, yeah, no, no. Yeah. The, the that, details that's, that's, are that's dubious, before. but I mean, this is a world with fantasy and sci-fi elements. You just say <laughs> the thing happened, and I think you yeah. kind of get the gist. <laughs> at that, by that point, you're just like, okay, we're we but, are um, in full JRPG plot mode. Let's go. Yeah. Now, allegedly, uh, like I think one of the reasons I read in like somebody translated official guidebook materials or something is that like you can restore people in Alchemoth technology or something. Maybe it's it, it's all very it's vague. super weird. Yeah, but, but again, but you be... could just say whatever, and you it'd probably be right. Hmm. Um, okay, so but getting back to like the overarching plot uh, of right. the game, there's I mean there's like plot twists up the wazoo. Every major cutscene has this. I mean, and uh, speaking of the cutscenes, I think they did a really good job with the cinematography of the cutscenes and how they're... The graphics they're... were very good, but they did a lot of good things with what they had. Yeah, like yeah. The, the faces yeah, moved sure. very well. All the, you know, like the cutscenes yeah, weren't boring. There's a lot of exciting movement happening and a lot of very exciting cutscenes. Yeah, it, it's visually striking and beautiful without being an HD game, which is remarkable. Yeah, which is like if it if they did do an HD remake, holy crap, look out, Final Fantasy. I'm like, it's cool how they visualize, you know, Shulk having a vision too. So like they work a lot with that material. Yeah. Uh, but I think, like, once you get to the end game and you you understand what's really going on with the world and the characters and, like, who Zanza really is. I mean, like, I remember that cutscene right after you f- uh, finish uh, fighting Aegol and his gigantic uh, mechon in the in the heart of Nokanis. Yeah. That sort of that revelation was kind of mind blowing in the, a sense. I think the Zanza switch is way harder to predict than the uh, than the metal face mechon or Fiora. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and it's I didn't get that at all. He he seemed almost like a uh, he seemed like a very harmless positive NPC that you meet in the first hour of the game, and he ends up being like the lieutenant for the game's ultimate antagonist, and yeah, also and Dixon. also the member of a race of giants from uh, oh Dixon yeah D- Dixon Dixon not Rianza. oh I'm, I'm sorry I'm mix, I'm mixing people up now. <laughs> <laughs> but you were, yeah. but you were right. He right. is like lieutenant of the bad guy, and he actually is a giant. So. Mm-hmm. A member of a race of giants that's only alluded to and never actually shown uh, until near the end of the game. But he appears. Yeah, they ha- drop a lot of like interesting uh, location bits about giants living on there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like there's a giant kitchen table I think in um, in Prison Island. 
Right. Like there's a lot of giant sized items inside of Prison Island, which I always thought was really cool. Uh, yeah. But even uh, Tethra Cave, if you follow like a whole bunch of chain of side quests, you reveal that yeah, there's a whole bunch of giants who you know worship stuff in there too. Like yeah, you, it's very you, weird. They were, they were obviously a race from an an older cycle of. And that's the other cool thing about yeah, they're, the story they're like, is they're like Protheans you, or something. They're they're sort of an ancient uber tech, like ancient race that was uh, superior technology and and finding their technology in ruins, you know, is uh, is always a major discovery. Giant well, what naked I, people. What I meant though is that you learn that this is not the first time that this has happened. There have been multiple cycles. Like the fact that you get to the fallen arm of the Mechanis, but the Mechanis still has its arm in in the real world like you, you you can sort of tell that this is not the first time that these two titans have fought and you you the story in fact makes it clear that what zanza wants to do is just redo re, this cycle of fighting the mechanis being forced into uh into like you know sleep or or, or uh, what's the word i'm looking for um well, yeah, being forced to retreat and to hibernate uh, and regain his strength, and then when the time is right, uh, reaping everything in order to revive himself and do it all over again. And we don't know how many times this has been going on, but it's a really cool idea, I think, to sort of say, this is this is just a never-ending cycle of gods, you know, playing at ruling this world and fighting each other and then yeah. that's and, not and, even and, getting into just, like the the real end game uh plot reveal when you're on your way to killing zanza and you learn about how they were scientists in the real world performing an experiment <laughs> to create a universe and then they destroyed their universe and then they were made gods in this one it's like holy crap and i think why i love the most always, about it is i always that, love greg's review on our site about that he says by the end of the game it gets almost a little too spoilery it's just yeah. so much happening right. um <laughs> but what i think i like the most about it is takahashi this is like this is expected for Takahashi. You know, he played Xenogears, he played Xenosaga. This is he does this. He loves to have these gigantic stories with you know the the killing god theme. Of course, uh, comes up in every game. Um, but I always felt like, for one reason or another, he wasn't ever able to uh, to achieve the goal of his story with his previous games. I mean, Xenogears had the infamous second disc where they ran out of time and had to cheat corners in order to finish. Xenosaga was originally supposed to be six games and they had to cut it back again because it wasn't doing very well and they had to finish it. I really feel like Xenoblade is the first game <laughs> in the series that Takashi has done where he actually was able to achieve that grand vision of and what he wants to, to, to do. And to add to that, just like something Takahashi said was, my first thought was that I wanted to uh, build a masterpiece within the JRPG genre. <laughs> <laughs> and he succeeded. Well, well, he did, well, yeah. That's a that's modest goal that he did manage to succeed. <laughs> but yeah, this game is met with like a lot of quite a lot of acclaim too. So I mean, I think for the most part he was pretty much in the right place when he thought about it. You know, it's really appealed to a lot of Western RPG players as well. And he and he does manage to close. I know, I mean, both of you alluded to this, but he does manage to close the plot doors somewhat instead of uh, obviously. Uh, lead to something greater like i mean caitlin mentioned as you know saga is supposed to be six games and that trilogy never does quite resolve everything and uh but with but xenoblade chronicles is self-contained and in in a satisfying way and uh 
but still has the, I guess, has the opportunity for sequels because you could always just imagine, oh yeah, this is a uh, this this sequel is tens of thousands of years ago with a different a part of a different cycle of uh, mm-hmm. of um, of destroying and remaking that Zanza has has been doing for eons, which is which is you know a convenient plot device, I guess, but. Uh, but but pulled off really well in this game, and I mean we are getting a Xenoblade two, and already got some kind of an, an alt Xenoblade game a few years ago. The the bar is set pretty high for for Xenoblade two to sort of uh, match what the original did, and I mean we'll see if it does. I'm personally very curious. Of, you know, it's literally Xenoblade Chronicles two, so we're all wondering what the connection is, if there's even a connection. Uh, I mean, we've seen similar enemies and whatnot, so I'm wondering if it takes place in the same world, if it, like, takes place however many years after the end of the original game, or if it's going to be more like uh, Xenoblade X, where it's you have you still have the Nopon and similar characters, but it's more of a thematic connection as opposed to a story one. So, very excited to learn more details about what exactly is going on in Xenoblade Two. And that the sword that you see on the on the cover or the key art that we have for Xenoblade Two is Monado like. Yes, we're not we're not one hundred percent sure exactly what is or what it is or what's going on. And what they, a cool uh, name for a sword, too. The Monado. Yeah. <laughs> just something you just can't say without doing that wonderful British accent. <laughs> this is the Monado's power, indeed. So anyway, yeah, Monado. Fun word to say, right? Especially with a British accent. <laughs> Monado. Monado. Yeah, you're so wonderfully dramatic with it. We probably we now we really wish we should have had uh we should have had Greg or Alana on this podcast <laughs> so, so they could say <laughs> it properly. She'd be very upset at us. Oh man, we should have. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we should have kidnapped uh, kidnapped Steven so he could tell us about how we will feel the suffering of the Emperor and Fiora. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very quotable game. <laughs> it really is. I um and like the dialogue and characters are so likable and the mythology and the story are so cool that even though it's 90 hours long, I was invested for all those 90 hours. And the only time it I was... It's just good with the twists, too. Like, uh, the named NPCs usually have pretty interesting quests and really interesting little plots and amusing little yeah, witty and... dialogues. Uh, and the non-NPCs, you just instantly finish their quests. So it's just a win-win. And uh, Peter mentioned that there's sort of an MMO style of quests in this game. And he's absolutely right. There's five big city areas and each one of them has dozens and dozens of small quests to perform and some of them get really interesting like uh oh shoot there's an early boss who's the bronze-faced mechon named uh named zord who's this dude that uh this big robot yeah. that fights with a giant hammer and uh later in the game in colony nine there's a side quest where you uh you meet a girl and you try to and you help her um restore her father's smithing business and you realize that her father was the human zord that was captured in the in the battle at the beginning of the game yeah, and that's a that's a pretty cool, intense callback in the second half of the game back to one of the early memorable bosses. And there's a ton of cool plot details uh, in the game that it, it, hidden in these side quests that get, go some real surprising directions. And then, like later it's on, very good you world have to building. you have to rebuild Colony Six, and you actually right. get to make decisions about like uh, how the colony develops, and you help you help bring people to the colony and do and then do quests for them. And it's just like that was a really cool little thing that they didn't have to do. They didn't have to sort of create that you know that uh, colony building aspect, but they did, and it's kind of a neat little side thing that you can come back to and do. 
And um, <laughs> uh, near, near the end of the game, when the Hyantia city is destroyed, uh, some of the side quests that you could have performed earlier are are no longer present, and some of the ones that you resolved will have differences in the world state of the destroyed version of the city. There's like a lot of cool, um, you know, quests that kind of take you in a reference to somewhere like someone's doing research on uh, like sacrificial altars or whatever. And you go to that one and there's a giant spider there. Like (laughs) there's just a lot of weird stories kind of weaved in throughout the world as well. Yeah, and, and if you do every single side quest and build up your uh, reputation in every single town to the max, you will play this game for 190 <laughs> hours and not just 90 hours. <laughs> or like, I like how even goodness. Mechon have like people problems too, where it's like a husband and a wife machine, you know, <laughs> aren't getting along too good. Oh yeah, and the nice thing too is like the filler quests, like the crap ones, where it's like, yeah. oh, go, you know, kill ten crabs or whatever. Those you don't have to return to the quest giver. So you can kind of do them right. while you're playing the game naturally, and that's such a nice touch. Yeah, some of the more story-focused ones do you have you go back to the quest givers, but a lot of them do, you know, cut out a lot of the excess fat of uh, that we're used to in the in very questy checklisty games where you, you know, are always going back and forth between hubs and field areas. And uh and Xenoblade there's a lot of them, but they do these side quests really really well for the most part. Yeah, and I think I mean it... It's it can be overwhelming, especially with the uh, the the non-named uh, NPCs that give you the the filler quests. You know the the kill X amount of monsters, or the ones I really hate, which are the collect items from the drops, which because oh, that right, can, yeah. that can take forever sometimes if you need a specific one. Um, and I mean, you can very easily get over leveled uh, if you do all of them, which is what I did on my first playthrough. Um, <laughs> but I really think the reason why I, I still love them and love doing them is because they they send you out in the world and you're exploring the world uh, and and killing fun monsters while you're doing it. And I think that, you know, that's, that's kind of a, I don't, I don't want to say a good way, but it's an acceptable way to have filler quests is if you tie it into something that's already fun in the game, like exploring the world and, and right. fighting the enemies. And, and, uh- these side quests and there's I cannot state how many of them are because there are so many <laughs> like a big helpful part is that the basic gameplay loop of combat and exploring and the and these environments are so cool and so uh, and have so many nooks and crannies is it, it would be a lot less forgivable if the basics of gameplay weren't fun and mm-hmm. and and the combat and the moving around in this game is fun and there is some fast there's a there's fast travel that you can do which is helpful very yeah helpful. oh god yes if, if there was if there was if there were fewer fast travel options or none then i then you know f these side quests but that uh, for, <laughs> fortunately they made it very convenient at least yeah. yeah yeah they that was good but um and and also there's also there's a a number of end game challenges like some a lot of the quests are monster hunts for these for the special unique monsters that are often very high level and the last couple of those are in the level 115 to 120 range when the max level is either 99 or 100 so yeah they, they keep things consistently challenging in this game See, there's always something stronger than you that you can you know push yourself to try and defeat <laughs> I, I like that. Yeah, your max level is ninety nine, and you fight enemies much right. higher than that. I always think that imposes a really cool challenge. Yeah, isn't the strongest monster in the game like one hundred and twenty or something? Or am I exactly? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. but a right setup, you can yeah, actually geez. you can afford something. Yeah, you have to like use use uh, good gems, and uh, Dunban can be very helpful as an evasion tank there. So I finished the game in the low eighties and levels, and I but I know that there was just a terrifying amount of stuff I still could be doing. 
<laughs> terrifying amount. <laughs> In a good way, though. But um, I guess this connects to something else. Do you think this game is too long? Like, do you think it would be improved by either just speeding up the level curve or uh, or remove or making some areas shorter so that it would be just a little bit less dense and less vast? Because I mean, I, I, we were all adults. We don't always have time for hundred-hour JRPGs anymore, like like we like we did when we were younger. And uh, and I, part of the reason I didn't play this game right when it came out, I owned, I bought it right when it came out, but I didn't play it until I think 2014 or 2015 because when people say it's going to be a long game. It's a bit daunting. Yeah, exactly. It was it was it's daunting and intimidating, and I and I don't know if I want to make a commitment to a 90-hour game that I'm I'm not sure I'll love. Like I I jumped into Persona 5 immediately because I've been thirsting for that game for years and already knew I would like it basically. But for Xenoblade, I was less certain. And I didn't. Uh, it, it's the first game with the word Xeno in the title I've actually beaten, even though I, even though I put a lot of hard time into Xenogears and the first Xenosaga. So, do you think it would be um, it would be an improvement if Xenoblade Chronicles was a little shorter? Uh, I I don't think I would want the story or the the, the world itself to be shorter or smaller. I think mm-hmm. that it could be improved by simply reducing the number of throwaway side quests, um, because there's there's uh, yeah the the NPC the named NPC quests are great and I love fighting the na- the unique monsters, but the, the everything else it is kind of throwaway. And like I said, if you do it, you you wind up over leveled for the main story content for any area that you're in. So one way they could have, you know, maybe trimmed the fat is to have fewer of those quests, which would make the game not be as as big of a, of a slog at times and also would ensure that you're not winding up um, overpowered for the area and then, you know, cheesing bosses and whatnot. So... Mm. But I mean, I don't, I, I don't know that I would really want any cuts to the to the story right, or so, to the so, areas themselves. So maybe uh, trimming the fat wouldn't be a bad idea as long as the as long as the story beats and the uh, and and the areas themselves weren't compromised. Yeah, at least right. that's my opinion anyway. I, I basically agree. Like, I w- if I if I were to think about making cuts to this game, I wouldn't sure where to cut where I would cut anything. Because the uh... I probably just make the gameplay a bit tighter or a bit faster. That's about it. Like you know, if you're running, they could have a way to hit a better max than the one that you get with skill gems and all that kind of stuff. Like just let me walk faster. Right. Cause <laughs> there's a lot of walking and jogging in this game. Um, but yeah, no. For the most part, I think I'd just do gameplay tweaks to kind of speed it up. Because I think when you get into a game like this, you know, you might be spending quite a few hours with it. Uh, if the game's got a long story to tell, you know, then so be it. I guess like games like Persona or Skyrim kind of do. So you know that you're in for a while, uh, a bit of a ride. Uh, if you can't play it because of time limit, that's that's you know, I guess your thing. Yeah, but same thing. You don't want to get this too short. Yada yada yada. And you're talking about the speed of the battle system. There's also one thing I want to just address that we haven't mentioned yet is how um, there's no uh, there's no magic resource in this game. There's not like an MP or an SP or a TP that you're always trying to keep up to use your skills. Everything's run on cooldowns, and uh, th- that's interesting. It means that you can use your cool skills basically whenever you want and uh, and set up combos between skills easily. And uh, but and but also there's Sometimes it feels like you're on autopilot a little bit because your characters will automatically attack enemies as long as they're sitting near them. 
and uh, and execute special attacks along that bottom menu loadout that you uh, that you're you know pressing left and right and 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 a a lot on. But it it, it was interesting to me when I, because I'm used to playing RPGs that have some kind of magic resource that I'm always dealing with. Yeah, no, I, I like the games that get rid of it. I feel it creates a more interesting battle system. I hate having net MP managed, too. Right. Um, so, no, I kind of like that this one is based on cooldowns. I just wish they were a bit faster. Yeah, because, I mean, we played uh, Tales of the Abyss a little while ago on Retro Encounter, and I was running out of TP all the time in that game. It was, and it was, <laughs> it was basically the opposite yeah. problem. <laughs> yeah, this, and this is, this is the opposite. <laughs> or you have it, and battles go by too quickly, in that you're always running out of MP because you're always using special attacks. I don't know. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I think it's actually a pretty clever battle system. Like, I like how there's a lot of emphasis on, um, it is. on teamwork. Uh, like, yeah, on teamwork, certainly, and, uh, kind of inflicting different status. And the, the MMO-ish nature of it get, has, uh, Xenoblade get compared to Final Fantasy XII fairly often. And, mm-hmm. uh, um, in, in a good way, because, I mean, Final Fantasy XII also has open, interesting environments and a really interesting action battle system, but... Shoot! What? Someone mentioned to me in another podcast. It might have been you, Peter. That uh, Xenoblade yeah. was like was like a more improved version of FF12. I think that's been that's been Rob's line. Rob, uh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Xenoblade okay. Yeah. You're right. No, it was it was Rob. It was it was Rob Steinman uh, in a different in a different. But it's podcast. a fair it's a it's a fair comparison, I think, because I think Xenoblade builds on a lot of stuff that 12 pioneered. Um, in terms of just um, the direction of a lot of these of. of of more recent JRPGs, and it's a trend we've seen continue. FF15 is basically kind of continuing in the tradition of 12 and split. Cool. I definitely want to go back to FF12 too. So, like, uh, you know, seeing I've kind of had a really good time with us, and right. I kind of want to go back to Final Fantasy 12, funny enough, see if I can appreciate yeah, it. Right. Yeah. And you'll have a chance. Very yeah. Soon. yeah, and yeah, it'll the, be slightly t- more each year. At the time of recording this, uh, the FF12 remake is not out yet, but it, it uh, I think it is coming out <laughs> around the time we're supposed to post this. I'm, I'd have to check. I'd have to double check schedules. July, it's July 11th. Okay, never mind. This is then. Um, yeah, this is coming out first, but. <laughs> Crowd uh, July. <laughs> so yeah, we'll we'll have uh we'll be able to play the proto the proto Xenoblade battle system. <laughs> in, in yeah, I'm I'm so. gonna be streaming it for for the site for cool. sure. Like no one can take that away from me. <laughs> <laughs> I will fight you if you try to stream it before me. I would not get in the way, but I will make the most glorious graphic I can. Yes, I know you will. I look forward to it. <laughs> Especially you know, because they gave us such good new artwork for the game. Too. Oh, that art, yeah, that art is sick. So good. If Xenoblade 2 is successful, maybe we could see a uh, Switch port of Xenoblade 1 in the future. That, I think everybody I, wants that. That, I want that would, that. That would will, get me to replay it. I will settle for them just giving us access to the Wii U's virtual console library and sure. getting Xenoblade that way. But yeah, I mean, come on, do it, please. Like, if you see the way that this game runs, um, and we... Uh, uh, Disclaimer, we do not encourage this, oh, but oh, if you've you're seen... You're, you're talking about a PC emulator for Wii? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like, I, I don't do that. Uh, my computer is nowhere near powerful enough, and besides, I find playing uh, off my TV a lot more comfortable. Um, but <laughs> when you see those screenshots, and it's not like they're... There's not like they're doing much in the way of, like, oh, they, they put in all new assets. No, it's just mm. upping the resolution, 
which they could totally manage on the Switch, even as underpowered as it is compared to, like, say, the PS4 and, and the Xbox One. So do it, Nintendo, please! Yeah, even the minor buff that the, that the, that the Wii U afforded on um, Wii games um, was noticeable, like for mm-hmm. games like Mario Galaxy and Skyward Sword. So, I, yeah, I've, if you play down there, would be great. Uh, for many years, I used a desktop background that was a screenshot of Mario Galaxy 1 done on a PC Wii emulator just to up-res it, and it, it was so startlingly beautiful that it made, yeah. me wish, it made me wish that Nintendo had, hadn't waited so long to, you know, start making games in HD. Resolution yeah. is can do a lot of things. I, I'm Honestly, we saw the same thing with 12. When people would play 12 on a PC, they weren't doing anything to the assets. It was just higher yeah. resolution, and it looks gorgeous because the underlying uh, work, the underlying artwork is solid. It's just that the resolution suffered, and it's kind of similar thing with Xenoblade. Um, I mean, the the underlying art design for Xenoblade is top notch. It's just kind of hampered by the Wii's poor resolution. So, just fix that and port it. I will pay sixty dollars to rebuy that game if you do a Switch port, Nintendo. I think, this is direct think, from me to you. Take my money. I think, yeah, I think Nintendo. I think Nintendo collection will be will be incomplete if you don't do that. I I think yeah. Nintendo wants more than $60 to report this game, though, somehow. I'll pay you 120 I swear. <laughs> I'll pay double. Just give it to me, please. I, even I love, with, like, I Xenoblade love... uh, X graphics, I would even just kill for that. Just anything. Because yeah. <laughs> like, it's such I love... a pretty, pretty fantasy world. And I think they really nail that aspect between, like, fantasy and sci-fi elements. They nail it so perfectly that it's so beautiful that you would want to double or triple dip for it on a on a higher console system. Yeah. I mean, I love having it on my 3DS. I I bought a new 3DS because I needed it in order to play Xenoblade, and I love having it on the go. It looks horrible, um, but if we could get it on the Switch and it would look decent, it doesn't even have to be, like, super amazing if it just looks decent i'd be so happy about that so now caitlin i don't own a new 3ds but i've considered getting one for the handful of games exclusive to it and uh but mostly super nintendo ports on on a 3ds machine Mm -hmm. so um but but um how i guess you mentioned it was uglier but how is the uh xenoblade port on 3ds like is it is the slowdown really bad is it is it like so uh, so much uglier that i'm i'm gonna be bothered it's muddier and it does have that resolution issue, but it yeah. it functions perfectly well and perfectly the same otherwise. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What Stephanie said. It's it's just you know it's more pixelated because of the 3ds screen, which I mean, ugh. I know people <laughs> love the 3ds, but having the Switch, I don't want to go back to the 3ds. I mean, I have okay. not used my Switch on my TV outside of the first time that I booted it up and started playing Zelda. It's been a handheld for me, and that's probably how I am going to use it for the rest of its lifespan because it's a great handheld. So it just needs some killer games, and Xenoblade would be one of them. That's all I'm saying. But, I mean... They already do have an incoming Xenoblade, but uh, a port of this one on Switch would... I'm sure a lot of people have written that in their diary as something that they want. I would yeah. say I would say about the 3DS version, I mean, come on, the original isn't it is I mean, beautiful art design, but it's still pretty ugly, uh, especially if you're playing on HGTV off your Wii. Um, so I mean, if you can manage that and you really love the game, 
I think it's you, you, you get used to it on the 3DS. I mean, um, okay, yeah, because I, I, I don't know if I want to replay it mostly for time reasons, but it would be it would be a motivating factor for me to pick up a new 3DS. That and, like, you know, Earthbound and Mega Man X and other things. I've been playing it while we've been talking, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was, yeah, I was playing it pre-show, so... It makes me talk about things that I play them while I'm, while I'm podcasting. Fighting level 115 monkeys or something. You know, it happens. <laughs> so, we have talked about Xenoblade for a long time. Is there, is there anything else that, we, that we've glossed over that we want to bring up? I love the final area a lot. That's kind of my other two cents. <laughs> the the castle or when you're in space? Outer space. Yes. Oh, right. Just because, again, like, given the console that they're working with, and I love the sight that you see there. I was just, uh, like, my jaw actually dropped at what I was looking at kind of thing. And that doesn't happen but, in games a lot. The creativity the really doesn't. The rad, too. Sorry? The final boss theme is rad, too. The music. Yes. That is so good. Um, oh, yes, I don't really care much for the Hyantia C plot where it's like they got a whole bunch of family drama going on. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, that's, I guess, the most political part of this game. But it's, um... It's just kind of mm. oddly long for something that ends in tears anyway. Ugh, Callian. He was dreaming. He was, wasn't he? <laughs> sure, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was lovely. And then they took him away. Yes, damn them cool detail is you can see colony uh colony nine from colony six yes right yeah it's like a very it's a very tiny muddy texture but it's it's totally there so i always thought that was cool i always thought the fact that valak mountain takes place on a on a drop down cold elbow because it's the one thing that's isolated in the middle of the air on these two giants right yeah it, it, um, it, it, the back the is mo- the hottest yeah, place and where the jungle is so i think like little details like that are really clever was it the back or the chest where the where 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 the jungle is? The jungle's on the back. Yeah, it's in the back. You don't oh, okay. you don't go to the chest. Right. Huh. I might speaking um, yeah, I, speaking of gravity, I don't think that gravity would work in your favor on the chest. <laughs> I I would also yeah, that's true actually. I would also kill for um them to make that one extra playable place apparently uh, available yes! in the future iteration of the game. You know, even if it's just as, you know, a kind of plotless kind of playground where you can just it, battle against that, high level enemies. It looks enemy. so cool when they so weird. They, they hacked it and showed what the area looked like. Where where was it located and what was it like? I haven't heard of this before. The shoulder, I think. Shoulder, yeah. The other shoulder, not the one opposite of Valak Mountain. Huh. Yeah, there's like apparently a lot of allusions to it too, like how weird that kind of pocket around uh, going from a swamp to like the back is. Like they kind of talk about how it's just kind of a weird transition between certain scenes. Oh no, sorry, um, Aerith Sea from the forest where it's like a weird kind of magical spit thing. Mm. And a lot of people say you would have actually gone on the shoulder and to the back of the uh, Aerith Sea. Like they actually. People go into the the logistics of of traveling up the Bionis. And that's interesting because it totally works for this game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so there's a whole big thing about it and people have hacked it and shown the play field and it's just really, really cool too. They even got like unique assets and everything. Interesting. Nice. <laughs> I'm going to have to look this up. Yeah, I will too. So, you think, okay. You guys you think we'll see the Nopon in future games? Just a really big look at it. So, so um, what was you saying, Peter, about the Nopon? I was saying, do you think they'll, they'll make a comeback? Because I thought it was interesting how we went from Ricky, who is a pretty alright mascot character, to Tatsu, who is the worst <laughs> mascot character in the history of mascot characters. And, Tatsu not food! 
Oh, over so and over so and over. So you're saying I should never play Xenoblade Chronicles X then? Got it. I'm All just right. saying that, that Tatsu has one joke, and they run that joke into the ground. Yes. Hmm. Which is so weird. I don't understand why they would do that. It's not... It's not... It's far from very good writing. It's so boring. It's not even, it's not even a funny joke. It's, no. It's tragic. The, 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 the 11-year-old really wants to eat Tatsu. Why? Because he looks like food. How? <laughs> I, I, yeah. But uh, they, they've sort of become the series mascot, so... I do I'm sure they'll be like, cool species in, the in there too, because like you know that was definitely one thing missing from Xenoblade X that you played as one human race thing. Oh, and you got one alien person who looked like a human anyway, one or two. And that was it. Huh. Yeah, because yeah, I wanted no. to play as the Manon. That would have been cool. Squeaky. Yeah, voice you had all those side quests where you're going around um, recruiting the different alien races, but only one alien actually joined your party. And I, I, I was so smug and stupidly happy when I saw Shulk as a character for Smash Brothers because it was so strange. <laughs> that was that was great. That was like, you made it! This game you did it! You're now. part of the family now! <laughs> and what, Ryan and Dunban show up for, or, or is it Ricky, Ricky and Dunban, Dunban. Dunban. Yeah. show up for his final Smash? Yeah, and it's the greatest. The, the Bionic <laughs> stage, uh, Metal Face is a stage hazard. It, it's, it's rad. Shulk is the best. I'm, I am super glad that Nintendo has embraced this this IP and that Nintendo of America has embraced it too, giving us Xenoblade X. And I mean, we already know we're getting Xenoblade 2 and possibly this year even. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> like, it's just, a good time it, to be a fan of this surprisingly like up and coming RPG series then. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I mean, I'm amazed that, you know, from coming, going from where we were in 2010 when Nintendo of America was uninterested and it was like, we have no plans to this where they're full on supporting it, like and uh, confirming it's getting a localized the day that it was announced. I mean, like it's good times. And, and with that, I think it's about time that we close the door on Xeno on Xenoblade Chronicles. Uh, thank you so much listeners for staying with us for a podcast that got a little long, but this game's a little long. So it merited all that discussion. Uh, pretty Coming soon on Retro Encounter, we're going to have more Dragon Quest V episodes and a special episode about the Seventh Saga that Rob Fenner and I recorded. Uh, next month, we're going to have a couple episodes about the Super Nintendo classic Earthbound, and I think we're finally going to do a Danganronpa 2 episode, I think. Peter, are we, is, are we, are we ready for that one yet? Cause it's, I, I, we, we've been ready for it. We've just been waiting <laughs> on Josh. So. All right, well, we'll see if that one gets made or not, but that will probably come next month if the stars align. If you, if you, the listeners, want to email us, the best way to do so is to email retro at rpgfan.com or uh, let your thoughts be known on the RPG Fan Facebook page or the rpgfan.com forums. There's also rpgfan.com on Twitter. Uh, review us on iTunes and other podcast listening venues if, to leave feedback. We read everything that's directed at us, so... Please send us messages in one of those many ways. So, uh, starting with Stephanie, what's the best way for listeners to reach you? Oh, I am uh, <laughs> through social media, basically, since I help uh, do all the commentary and a lot of the posts. Uh, but if you want to reach me personally, I'm, I'm Dice on the Boards and uh, at Dice SMS on Twitter as well. All right, and Caitlin. Uh, I am Leon Gazero on the boards and uh, the same on Twitter. And that's uh, Leon underscore Gazero because I'm weird. So. <laughs> and last, Peter. 
I'm, I'm at I have Fury on Twitter. Uh, I have Fury on the boards. Uh, you can email me Peter T at RPGFan.com. Right on, and I am at the Real Monsoon on Twitter, Monsoon on the boards, and yeah, I guess that about does it. We were really feeling it, but it <laughs> but is now Ryan time. Yes, and we must go. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye.